Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing today? The kids look so excited. Look how happy they look. Look around. Look at around. Look around at all the kids. They look so happy to be going back to school tomorrow, uh, or Tuesday, or Wednesday. Um, but uh, one thing before we get into the sermon, one thing that uh, Tanya brought up that really um, kind of resonated with me is that um, not every student who's going to be going back to school this week um, is, in a, is in a good place, is in a good position. Um, and I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this. I, I became aware of this a couple of years ago as I was uh, kind of studying uh, these things. Um, there are over 32,000 students uh, going back to kindergarten through 12th grade um, who are homeless. Uh, they are heading into school not having slept in their home. Uh, sometimes they are uh, kind of crammed in with a whole bunch of other family members. They consider that to be homelessness because they don't have a place where they can feel secure. And some of them are uh, going to school directly from uh, homeless shelters. And we kind of think about it, and I don't think we think a lot because we see our children, they go off to school, um, they have their lunches, they have clean clothes, um, there are a lot of students that are, that are returning to school this week that are in great physical need, um, not to mention emotional and mental need. So I'd like to just take a moment to uh, pray for our children, pray for those who are going back this week. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for the blessings that you have provided to us. Father, we thank you for the children that you have entrusted into our care. Father, we thank you that we are able to clothe them and to house them and to feed them. Father, help us to remember and help us to take action to help those children, to help those families that are not so fortunate as we are. Help us to remember the 32,000 that will leave for school one morning this week not having slept in their own bed or any bed. Father, we ask that you would show these children and these families to us. We ask that you would put it into our hearts to do something for them that will allow them to feel just a little bit safer, their bellies feel a little more full. Father. Just guide our actions, show us where the need is, and help us to meet that need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're back in the book of Jonah this week. We've been in Jonah for a couple of weeks now. Jonah's a very short book of the Bible. It's only four chapters. You can read the book of Jonah in like 15 minutes. Like, it's, it's, it's straightforward. There's not a lot of things to, to, to kind of try to figure out. It's just a straight narrative story. And it provides this incredible insight into God's sovereignty, and it also provides insight into God's mercy. And remember, we've explored the sovereignty of God, and we've seen that sovereignty is the ability and even the right to exercise power without limitation. And when we say that, it's, that God is sovereign, that means that he is the supreme authority with absolute power over all things, because he created all things. And I got a little ring here, Chris, if you can back that off just a little bit. And we've seen 
basically that God can do what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, how he wants, and to whom he wants. That is his right as the creator of all things. But we've also seen that God doesn't practice that right absolutely. God has given humans what we call free will. We are allowed by God to rebel. We are allowed to sin. We are allowed to say no when God asks us to do something. And we saw that in in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah was told by God, go to Nineveh and preach this message. And Jonah said no. And Jonah left. He tried to run away from the presence of God, which we know is an impossibility, but he did. He tried to run away, jumped ship, and he started heading as far away from where God wanted him as possible. But God in his sovereignty, he could have said, Jonah, you're going to Nineveh, picked him up, plopped him in front of the gates of Nineveh, That's God's right. He could have done that. He has that power. He has that ability. He has that right. He could have just said, here, this is where you're going. But he didn't. God allows us to make our own choices. God allows us to make our own mistakes, like the story that Miss Kathy shared with the pencil. Right? We can write our own story. But that doesn't mean that we might not experience some consequences for our decisions, right? We're going to make a choice that goes against God's will, that goes against God's law. There's going to be consequences, right? And we're all tempted to do that. How many of you face temptation? One of you. All right, good. We face temptation all the time. And all that temptation really is, is the offering of something pleasant that forces you to disobey God. I want to give you this thing. But in order to get this thing, you have to say no to God. You have to disobey God. You have to sin. And if you do that, then you will get this, whatever this is that's being offered as the temptation. So we get to write our own stories. But that doesn't mean that we're free of those consequences. And Jonah suffered those consequences. And the people around him suffered consequences. And if we think that our sin only affects us, that is absolutely not the truth. I've heard people say, well, this is a a victimless crime. This is a victimless sin. It doesn't affect anybody except the person who's sinning. That is absolutely the falsest thing I've ever heard anybody say. The things that we do, the poor decisions that we make affect other people, whether we realize it or not. And Jonah, without realizing it, affected the lives and the livelihood of the sailors on the ship that he boarded to run away from God. They had to throw their cargo overboard which lost them a lot of money, and they were fearful of dying. They were fearful that the boat was going to break apart, that they were going to sink to the bottom of the ocean. 
Jonah's actions had consequences. And when we make bad choices, often the consequences are bad. But when we do what God requires, what God asks us, when we do God's will, the consequences are ultimately good. Now, they may not look good at first, but ultimately they are part of God's plan and God takes all of those things and makes them good. We look at uh, Genesis chapter 50. Joseph, who has been sold into slavery by his brothers, they were going to kill him. But they said, no, let's not kill him. We'll make some money off of him. And they sold him off into slavery. And he was a slave in Egypt for many years. First, he was in the house of Potiphar. Then he was in jail for like two and a half, three years. And then he came to power in Egypt. And he became the second most powerful person there. And when his brothers, who were starving to death because of the famine, came to Egypt... Ultimately, they ran into Joseph. Now, if you've done somebody wrong, if you have done something bad to somebody, how many of you like to encounter them? How many of you like to be walking in the food store and somebody that you've done wrong and they're coming the other way? And we're walking along and what are we doing? Whoa, no way, we're going over there. Joseph didn't do that. He had his brothers there and his brothers are begging him please please be merciful to me be merciful to us don't kill us don't do anything bad to us and here's what joseph said joseph said as for you you meant evil against me but god meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today how many of us can wrap our heads around the idea that if we are sold into slavery, that God can use that for good. That's a hard thing to think about. We don't have that in our capacity as humans to think that something so horrible that happens to us could actually be used for God's good. But Joseph saw it. He was sold into slavery, and he became the head of the household where he was the slave. He got thrown into jail for something he didn't do for three years. And he became like the head prisoner of the prison. Joseph saw God bless him because Joseph did God's will. So regardless of what happens to us, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, if we are following God's will. If we are obedient to God, He is going to use it for our good. And if it's a really bad thing that's happening to us, we just have to pray more. We have to remember more that God is with us. Just like Joseph remembered that God was with him. So last week we looked at Jonah's prayer in chapter 2 and we saw this prayer of, of thanksgiving that God, instead of killing Jonah, rescued him. And he got swallowed up by the great fish and he spent three days in the great fish. And we left off here at Jonah chapter 10 and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. 
And yes, whatever you're imagining that is, it's probably just as bad, if not worse, than that. Can you imagine this guy on dry land, seaweed all over his hair? He doesn't really smell very good. His clothes are probably eaten away from the juices of the whale's stomach or the fish's stomach. It was gross. But he was alive. And because he was alive, Jonah got to choose again whether or not he was going to do what God asked him to do. So Jonah's back on solid ground, and in Jonah 3.1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. The exact same instruction as the first time. Exactly the same. And Jonah arose and went to Nineveh because he did not like traveling by fish. And he decided now that he was going to obey God. He could have decided against it again, could have had different consequences, but he decided to go according to the word of the Lord. And that's where we are now. Apparently Jonah um, is happier being able to walk to Nineveh, right? And we saw uh, this map a couple of weeks ago. This is the map from Joppa, where Jonah jumped on that ship, to Nineveh. And it's about between 550 and 650 miles, depending on the route and how you go. And of course, it's different today than it was back then. But we'll call it 550, maybe 600 miles. And we're not sure where the fish vomited Jonah up. It could have been anywhere along the shore there, right? Could have been a little bit closer to Nineveh, up there really at the very top where the water kind of juts in a little bit, but we don't know. But Jonah is now preparing to take a trip. How many of you have ever gone on a trip that you didn't want to go on? Anybody? I've gone on trips where I don't want to, I, want to, I don't want to leave my family. I don't want to sleep in a strange place for, you know, I don't want to, I don't even want to just have to drive there or fly there, right? And all the hassle that that entails. Do you think Jonah wanted to walk from Joppa to Nineveh to do something that he didn't want to do in the first place? Now, think about this trip. 550 miles, we'll, we'll round to 600 miles, 600 miles. The average healthy human being, if they're pushing it a little bit, can cover 30 miles a day. So we're talking about a month just to get there to a place that he doesn't want to go. And he's walking for a month. And I can imagine that Jonah is thinking, man, this stinks. And I'm not talking about the fish smell on me. This stinks. This, I don't want to do this. I'm just got. That's a, I, I don't know if that's how Jonah would do it. That's what, how I would do it. Because that's how Wendy has heard me when I don't want to go someplace, right? She'll hear that tomorrow morning. I don't want to go to school. <laughs> Jonah was still afraid of being killed because the people of Nineveh were part of Assyria and Assyrians killed Hebrews. So he was still afraid of being killed. And Israel hated Assyria as much as Assyria hated Israel. Jonah wanted Nineveh to be destroyed. But here he is, 
walking for a month. I can't believe I got to go to this thing, and then I got to preach, and I gotta say, and I don't even want to say what I have to say. But he did. He went. He obeyed this this time. And finally, he gets to Nineveh about a month later. And at the end of Jonah 3, 2, the Bible tells us a little bit something about Nineveh. It says, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. Can you imagine? Three days journey, walking journey, we're assuming, right? Wide. That's a big city. That's not New York City, man. That's like all of New Jersey wide. And that's how big the city was. And Jonah was supposed to preach to all the people. So he's got a big job ahead of him. But before we go on and talk about the job that Jonah did, I want to point something out to you because I want to point out the importance of Bible study. Very important that we read the Bible. I hope that everybody is in the Bible every day five minutes, ten minutes, half an hour, whatever it is that you're reading, I hope that you're doing that. But studying the Bible can bring information, can bring more of God into us than just reading the word on the page. And this passage here says that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. And the word here for exceedingly great is Elohim Gadol. This has multiple meanings. One of its meanings is exceedingly great, big, large, huge. The second meaning is great to God. Elohim in Hebrew means God. It is great to God. It is important to God. And another meaning is that it has a great number of gods. All three of these meanings are possible and probable in this passage. It is a big city that has a lot of gods that they worship, and it's important to God. And we don't get that from reading the page. We get that from studying. And how many of you here speak Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. All right, neither do I. The average Christian does not speak those languages. We don't read in those languages. But there are so many tools out there for you to use that you can find. There's something called Strong's Concordance. Strong's is a listing of every single use of words in the Bible in the original language. So all I did is I looked at exceedingly great and I clicked my little tool and it popped up. It means this, means this, means this. Now, if I just thought it was a big city, that would be enough, right? For a basic understanding. But when I come to realize, when I come to understand that Elohim Gadol means that it is a big city that have worshipped a lot of gods, but that it was still important to my God. Well, that brings this story so much more to life than if I'm just picturing, you know, a city the size of New Jersey. So I want to encourage you, 
Most of you are reading uh, your Bibles, and I love that you're doing that. Keep doing that. Sometimes that's all the time we have is to read the Bible for a few minutes every day. Keep doing that. But when you get the time, sit down. Grab yourself a cup of coffee. Grab your Bible. Grab your computer. There are all kinds of websites and computer apps and things, programs that you can go into. eSword is one of the really good ones that you can use for free. If you're looking for something that's a little more substantial and you want to pay for it, there's a program called Logos that is also really, that's what I use when I'm preparing sermons. But study the scripture. Get a deeper understanding of what God is saying in the words that he inspired people to write down for our benefit. I just want to encourage you. I'm sorry I went off uh, for a while there. But really, study your scriptures and do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Do it in prayer. Because that's the only way really that we're going to learn. So, We'll go back to uh, the passage, right? We'll, we'll talk about the size, and Jonah's probably walked up to the city, and he's looking around, and he starts to realize how big it is because the Bible says that Jonah began going into the city, and he went a day's journey, and he wasn't done yet. So he knew that this was going to take a while, and he is still kind of grumbling. But he preached what God told him to preach. And he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Seven English words, five in the Hebrew. That was the message. Y'all in trouble, you're going to die. That was the message that Jonah was, was preaching. Notice it doesn't have anything in here about repent. It doesn't have anything in here even about God specifically. But the people of Nineveh recognized that Jonah was a Hebrew. Because usually when you have enemies, you know what they look like. And they knew he was a prophet. You know how he knew he was they, that he was a prophet? Because he had a message. That's all a prophet is in most of the times we see him in Scripture. Somebody who has a message that was given to them by God. Sometimes that message, yes, does say something about the future. But most of the time it's just, hey, listen up. This is what God told me to tell you. And Jonah says, God, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the Ninevites knew God was saying that. That's the message that God is coming to him with. I imagine Jonah probably... Um, preached this message with a certain tone in his voice. What do you think that tone might have been? I don't think he was begrudging at this point. I think he was a little gleeful at this point. Hey, 40 days and you guys are going down. 40 days, God's going to destroy you and I'm going to be here to watch. That's what he wanted to have happen. And he had two more days to preach this. To all these people. Hey, you're going down. God's going to destroy you. <laughs> That's the message. But before Jonah even finished his first day, he walked for a day and then he started preaching. And before he even got to lay his head down that night, 
the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put sackcloth on, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. That's a message, man. Can you imagine? You speak five words over and over again, and this is the response that you get from people who hate you? Yet 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Oh. It's time for us to actually do something. And the people that heard the message started to repent and pray. And the people that heard the message sent other people to the king. And the king started to repent and pray. And then the king sent a message out to the entire city to repent and pray, to call out mightily to God. And why? Did he think it was going to work? He said, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that, it is, in, that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I don't know. Guys, uh, I'm going I'm to tell you guys this now. Um, uh, as the king, uh, I'm not real strong on theology. Okay? But, this is, this is, this is the thing. If God hates us bad enough to want to destroy us, um, we must be doing something really bad. And it's time to stop. And I think that if we repent and we sit in sackcloth and ashes, which was the way that people repented back in the Old Testament, they sat in sackcloth and ashes. And if we cry out mightily to God, and if we stop doing the things that we're doing, we stop being violent and we stop killing people and we stop doing all of these things, maybe, maybe God will take a step back. Maybe God will say, I relent. I'm not going to destroy Nineveh right now. Who knows? Can you imagine something like that happening today? Can you imagine? I mean, our country is kind of like a modern-day Nineveh. A lot of people call it a modern-day Babylon. I look at it as a modern-day Nineveh. It's just this huge place. People are doing really stupid things. People are speaking out against God. They're mocking God. They're doing all of this stuff. Evil is permeating our world, particularly our country. And it's not stopping. Almost feels like God doesn't have to destroy us because we'll end up destroying ourselves. But what if God looked down on the United States and said, enough is enough. I've had it 
with this country? And what if God selected a messenger, even a reluctant one, to go to Washington, D.C. and to start preaching, yet 40 days and the United States will be overthrown? Imagine that happening. And imagine the leaders of the country believing it. The president, the vice president, the cabinet, 525 members, I'm sorry, 535 members of Congress, all their aides, all of those people, they all gather on the National Mall. And they sit in sackcloth and ashes. And the president signs a proclamation, we got to repent. Stop doing what you're doing. This is real now. Could you imagine that happening? I sat there all week as I was thinking about the message and then when I started sitting down to write the message and I'm thinking about what would, what would happen if God sent a messenger to the United States saying enough is enough. And very sadly, I could not imagine the people in Washington, the people in leadership, doing anything different. And that made me very sad. Could they? Yeah, they could. Should they? Absolutely. But I worry for our country. I worry that our country has become as godless as Nineveh. I worry that we worship a lot of different gods. We worship politicians and we worship celebrities and we worship money and we worship fame and we worship just talking nasty to each other on social media. That's a god. What would happen though if they started getting the message. And that's what I think we should be praying for every single day. I think we should be praying that our nation's leaders start understanding that they are not pleasing God. Here's the result for Nineveh. When God saw what they did and how they turned away from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. God had every right to wipe Nineveh off of the map. It was within his power. It was within his purview. That's what he could have done. But he sent a message first. He gave Nineveh a chance to repent. And that is what God always does. Because he is not only sovereign, he is merciful.
the mercy of God. He can do as He chooses and He decides to relent. He decides not to do that thing that He was going to do. Mercy. Anybody know the definition of mercy? Mercy is not acting based on what someone deserves, but sparing that person the punishment that they do deserve. We have a hard time with mercy. When something bad happens to us, we want justice. And very often, we do not want justice to be merciful. And I talk to people. I've, I've talked to students in my school. Why did my brother die in that accident? I had a student two years ago, one month before graduation, drunk driver hit him and killed him. I had his sister in my class. She actually came up to me at one point. I asked her how she was doing. She said, I just don't understand. And she wanted that drunk driver to pay. She wanted that drunk driver to get the death penalty. And she said she didn't even believe in the death penalty. When bad things happen to us, oftentimes we look for justice and we ignore mercy. But that's not what God wants. It's not how God acts. It's not what He does. And He wants us to emulate Him. He wants us to be perfect as He is perfect. In Micah chapter 6, verses 6 to 8, we read, With what shall I come before the Lord? and bow myself before God on high. What's going to please God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves, a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? What can I do to make God happy? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And no, this is not condoning sacrificing your children. The meaning is in the second part of this verse. Give the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Should I give up my children? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This word for kindness here is translated also as mercy. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's what God requires of us. Now, all through the Old Testament, we see God calling for sacrifices. He commands sacrifices for all kinds of different things. But what this passage is saying, what, is, what God is saying through His prophet, 
is that I don't want any of your sacrifices if you're going to sacrifice this. Your sacrifices are worthless to me if you do not do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with me. I don't want your religious practice that means nothing. I want your religious practice that is full of justice and mercy and humility. We've turned Christianity into this religious checklist. Sunday morning, go to church, check. Drop my 20 bucks in the offering plate, check. Go to the potluck, check. I might even make something for it. We turn it into this thing where, okay, if I check off all the boxes, God has to be happy with me, right? All those things are worth nothing. Your attendance here is worth nothing without doing it in humility to God. Without desiring justice. Without loving mercy. The money you put in your plate, keep it. If you're not doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with God. God practiced justice and mercy with the people of Nineveh. Justice was, I'm going to destroy you because you've wronged me and you've wronged my people. That's what they deserved. Mercy said, I'm going to relent of that destruction because... You have promised to stop doing wrong to me and doing wrong to my people. You have become humility. Sitting in sackcloth and ashes, praying out to God, that's humility. Their action was to stop the violence, to stop the wrongdoing. Their repentance produced godliness so that they could do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. God's mercy is with us today, as is God's justice. God's justice says you are on the side of the enemy. You have decided to walk with Satan down a road that leads to hell. That's where you started from. That's what you deserve. God's mercy says, it's not my will that any should perish, but that all should have the opportunity to leave that road of destruction and come back to me. And I'm going to provide that way. I'm going to provide that off-ramp. I'm going to provide that new road, and I'm going to provide it through the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross. And any who believe in Jesus, they can jump off of that road. They can get on this one that comes to me, and I will give them the right to be called my children.
And those of us who have done that, we are children of God. And as children of God, we now seek justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. And next week, we're going to talk about what that looks like and what it doesn't look like in our churches today. Because Jonah chapter 4 could be a mirror image of some of our churches today. And we're going to take a look and see what was Jonah's reaction when God saved his enemy. And what is our reaction when God accepts somebody who has done us wrong? These are not easy things. You guys thought Jonah was just about a big fish. Jonah encapsulates who God is. And it encapsulates what our reaction should and shouldn't be to God's sovereignty and to God's mercy. And I truly hope that you will join us next week for that. I truly hope you'll join us next week. Um, students with your backpacks, we want to pray over you. Because we know we're sending you into places where God's will it's going to be hard for you to do. I hope you will join us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us. Forgive us for every time that we have failed to do justly. We have failed to love mercy and forgive us for every time that we have failed to walk humbly with you thank you for telling us what is required of us thank you for telling us what you seek and thank you for telling us that you are so patient because you would not see anyone perish that you would see all come to repentance. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the path that he created that would bring us to you so that we could be called your children. Father, if there's anyone here today who's does not believe that Jesus is salvation. Talk to them. Lead them to somebody in the church that can talk with them. Father, let us be the church that works So that those who don't know you could come to know you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let God be in charge this week. Listen for his voice. Do what he asks you to do. And see good. God bless you.